Welcome to the Springforth Podcast, a ministry of the First Congregational Church of McGregor, Iowa. This recording was made on April 10th, 2022, Palm Sunday. Good morning. Leading our announcements is the death of Myron Juritz. I thank you for your prayers and support and encouragement for Mary and the family as she has made her way through this journey. She knows that she has been propped up and bolstered by the support of not only her church community but the community at large. Funeral services are are pending. I don't want to mention any tentative dates because things could change, but we will definitely let you know when when all those plans are firmed up. Uh, For now, just continue to to do as you have been uh, with the cards, the letters, the messages, the popping in. We don't alienate people in their grief. If anything, we err on the side of being overabundant because actually you know that that is what aids in the healing not to feel isolated um, through one's trials but but to feel as if there are others who are right there with you uh, sharing that that pain that reality so if you feel so inclined to just bother Mary um, do so I'm, I'm giving you the invitation to, to be with her during this time and, and in the days to come. Sherry, anything you want to add to that? Okay. All right. Thank you. Also, a couple of announcements for things that are taking place Holy Week. On why, Casey, why don't you tell us what's happening on Wednesday? Okay, so we'll do a little bit of uh, decorative. Okay, five thirty for and and bring your your creativity or at least your desire for creativity. <laughs> yes, there there are no poorly um, uh, bad dyed eggs. Just you know, just just the fun and the adventure. So thank you, Casey, for putting that together. On Thursday, we will have our Monday Thursday service here at 5 o'clock p.m. And then I'm trying something a little different for Good Friday. Worked hard to get these booklets together. On Good Friday at noon at 
Turner Park, we're going to do a Stations of the Cross walk, and these will be your manuals for that. I need readers, so if you are interested and you want to take a look at the script in advance, talk to me, please talk to me. I can get you a booklet, but you've got to bring the booklets back because you know, this is no good without the booklets. But uh, there are 13 stations, and I want to commend Bill Grady because Bill Grady fastidiously worked on making the crosses that, will, that we will stage around the park, which will serve as the points for each one of our, our stations. So thank you, Bill, for that, and Carol as well, because um, for the patience that you have to, you know. You, you sent him you to the workshop. <laughs> like, Don't you have something to do for church? He's like, I do. I'm excited about this, and I think the weather will hold out, but rain or shine, we're going to be there. In fact, if, if, if it's actually miserable weather, that kind of fits the theme for the day. So please, if you think about it, I've got 25 booklets made. Um, I want to use all of them, but if not, we'll have some left over uh, for next year. But 12 p.m., Stations of the Cross, on Good Friday at Turner Park. Then on Sunday, Sunday offerings... The First Lutheran is hosting a sunrise service at Pikes Peak at 6 a.m. Sunrise is supposed to be at 6.20. So Pastor Hatcher is hoping for a good thing. You are all invited, um, so you can continue to keep that tradition for sunrise service. And then, Casey, do you want to tell us what's happening between that and our 9 a.m. service? <laughs> So a little pre-Easter uh, libations, and okay, sure, all right. So we will have a little pre-meal before our 9 a.m. Easter service here. So that's what's happening this week. Uh, plenty of things to choose from. Try them all. Try one of them. If not, we'll see you next week for Easter, and we'll be good. <laughs> Is there anything else that the congregation would like to lift up? Um, any concerns, any additional things that we should be aware of that's going on? All right. I just found out, and this happened a few weeks ago, but Marilyn Swanson and Larry received their first great-grandson born March 29th. And he's, a, he's big. He's like nine pounds and long. I mean, you know, he's, he's ready to play ball. <laughs> he was nine pounds, seven ounces, and 19 and three-quarter inches long. So he's a big boy. <laughs> and he drives his mom. <laughs> and we're delighted to become, for the first time, great-grandparents. So it's, it's special for us. Congratulations. And not to be overlooked, but we've got Mike and Jackie Sloan, fresh back from the UK. Was it all you hoped and more? Fantastic. And Jess and Callum are well? Good. Good to have you back. When you get your photos together, if you want to have a little slideshow for us, we can do that because we got the film thing down. Oh, he can, he, he can pare it down. Just, 
just give us the top 500. <laughs> All right, but whenever you want to, Mike. be with you. Let us pray. Jesus, our Savior, on this day you were given a hero's welcome as one who was going the way of the crowd, but you had chosen the way of the cross, and the praise was short-lived. Keep before us the vision of our calling that we may never be diverted from your way, but follow in your footsteps our crucified and risen Savior, to whom be all glory, laud, and honor, this day and forevermore. Amen. We join together in our opening hymn, number 48.
Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Open the gates of righteousness, and I will enter them. I will offer thanks to the Lord. I will give thanks to you, for you answered me and have become my salvation. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Hosanna, Lord, Hosanna. Lord, send us now success. God is the Lord. He has shined upon us, form a procession with branches up in the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will thank you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Morning. The first reading is uh, Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Look, your ruler comes to you, victorious and triumphant, yet humble, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Your ruler shall cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be banished. Your ruler shall proclaim peace to the nations whose dominion shall be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. The second reading is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptying himself taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus reigns to the Lord God Almighty. Please rise for the gospel. The gospel for Palm Sunday is Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. After he had said this, he went on ahead. 
going to up to Jerusalem, when he had come near to Bethphage at Bethany, the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples, saying, go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So he sent those who were departed, and they found it as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, the people kept spreading their cloaks on the road, and as he was approaching the path down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of the Holy Gospel. Please be seated. Let us pray. God of grace, mercy, power, and might, we find ourselves one week away from the day of resurrection. And at the beginning of a week that unfolds a very powerful narrative in the Christian church. Help us to be mindful of all of the facets of this story so we do not arrive at Easter without feeling the sting of all of the events that unfold to bring us that glorious resurrection. In all things, we know that we are just but a few days left in this Lenten season. And we realize that there are signs of mortality all around us. So you are constantly always informing our spiritual walk with living examples, examples in our own community. So help us to be mindful of the steps that your son took to help us to maximize our ability to hear your word and respond. For we become the individuals who keep your light and your word in the world. Let it not be lost on us. May the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. Bless us one and all in your name. If at all possible, I liked to keep Palm Sunday at the top of Holy Week. There's a tradition that's observed on this day to wrap both the palm narrative which we heard in Luke and the passion narrative which discusses the, 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 the trial and the arrest and the death of Jesus all into one package. This is often done for any liturgical community that doesn't have Monday, Thursday, or Good Friday, or Holy Saturday services because you can't just like show up at Easter Sunday without really truly able to appreciate everything that happened before that day. So if you go from Palm Sunday and then the next thing you have empty tomb, what happened in the middle? But I like to focus on the Palm Sunday narrative because I believe that this is a departure in the story 
where things are truly very happy and very upbeat. Because of the significance of the events in the last week of Jesus' life, Palm Sunday becomes eclipsed by our hindsight and our wisdom and our knowledge of the story. This is not our first rodeo. We've heard this story before. Strangers know this story. Atheists know this story. It's very hard for us to try to pull a fast one on someone who doesn't know the contents of what happened during Holy Week. Jesus and those who sought his life. But it's a very significant part for those of us who are of the Christian faith. You can hardly embrace Christianity without embracing this aspect of the narrative. This is the heart of the Christian faith. Now, Jerusalem was the seat of political and spiritual authority. And anyone hoping to gain any ground courting the people of Israel had better familiarize themselves with the workings. Now, Jesus' ministry ranged far and wide. As I have mentioned in previous messages, he taught both in town and in country, and it seemed that he was always well-received in the country as opposed to when he was in town. Whenever he was in town, he had to fear about what authorities, what agencies, what individuals he might offend. The people out in the country were happy to have someone take notice of them and to tell them that God had not forgotten them. And that was a very important aspect of Jesus' ministry. I said, I've often maintained that one of the best things that Jesus did was he noticed people. He noticed them. He noticed their infirmities. He noticed where they were maligned. He noticed where they were passed over. He noticed the systems of oppression that kept them down. And he went and ministered to them on a case-by-case situation, bringing them back into the fullness and the reality of God. That was good ministry, to meet people where they're at, and to work with their situations to get them out of that and to elevate their quality of life. But when he was in the cities, when he was in Nazareth, when he was in Jerusalem, he's up against people who have other forces pulling on them. They have status. They, they have uh, authority. They have credibility. They have a network which they want to maintain. And when Jesus comes in with his sort of social, political type of messaging, it was going to rub wrong the shoulders of those who had a certain authority which he was calling out that they wanted to maintain. Jesus' message of hope and renewal, make no mistake about it, it was a political message. And if any of us think it wasn't a political message, just go back over your Gospels in your leisure time, and you will see that the man was exceedingly political because he was giving people hope when other people didn't want them to have hope. It may not have seemed that way to the indigent who were being saved, but with those who had authority, Jesus' influence was not lost on them. The religious authorities knew that if you combine enough animated and enthusiastic people caught up with the proclamation of new life and hope of salvation, those people just might mobilize underneath the person who gives them that hope. And there is no telling what people would do given that kind of solidarity. So let's play a game here. Let's, let's, do, let's do a little bit of imagination. We're going to do a little escape. Take for yourself a first century Palestinian living a life that's not much to write home about. I mean, they're just putting in the time, doing the, doing the day according to whatever it is that they've been given to do. It's not a great life. They're existing. Things could be better. It's a dreary life by all circumstances. And it's not because they're living in the first century. It's a dreary life because 
they might be compromised in some way. They might have illness. They might have social standing that has been compromised. They might have the death of a provider, a head of household. They might have some social mishap or blunder that has caused them to lose the comfort of being able to attend temple. You know, if you had broken some sort of Levitical law, if you became unclean, you could not go to temple until you've shown yourself to the priest and have done the ritual of cleansing. And we know that we don't even, we don't even have the concept of what it means to be barred from worship, to be excommunicated, to be, to be kept from the Lord's Supper. We keep ourselves away. We, we, we walk away and say, ah, I don't, I, I'm not going to church today, sun's up. I, you know, there's, there's other things I can do with my Sunday morning. So we have no idea of what it means to people who wanted to go, who wanted to give sacrifice, who wanted to give God praise and couldn't because they had an oops in the community. And it's like, you're not right. You can't come with these things. You've got baggage. Deal with your baggage and maybe we'll see you at temple again. So factor all this in. We've got a person who's essentially outcast and they're living a, a marginalized life. But then something incredible happens, right? Jesus enters in. He enters into the scene with a message of hope, but deeds of power to back it up. So he sees those who were born lame. He sees those who were lepers. He sees those who have demons. He sees those who have been compromised, caught in sins of adultery and, 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 and excess. And he comes there's no temple around. He is the temple. He comes and he ministers to them, lays hands on them, forgives them of their sins, brings the reality of God right to where they are. This is, this is revolutionary stuff because these people have been broken and the church and religious authorities say, you don't measure up. So next time, you know, don't come around here until you can come correct. Don't, you know, don't bother us with your mistakes and your mishaps. And Jesus comes to them and says, do you believe that I can do these things? And they said, yes, Lord, I believe. He says, go, sin no more. Your faith, your faith has made you whole. Okay, now how, how is that not a revolutionary message? I got a person right now who can't go to synagogue because this, that, or the other, but this man who comes to me, who seems to be the embodiment of God, tells me it's all good. You're not broken anymore. You can see. You can walk. You have strength in your mind. The demons are gone. If that happens, what do you think that person's mindset's going to be? Right? Because they've been set free. The entire world told them that they were nothing but a mistake. They have one encounter with Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden, they got something to offer. They're feeling pretty good about themselves because God has not forgotten them. Because God's messenger, in the embodiment of Jesus Christ, says, God loves you and means it. These are the people who were lined in the path as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. These are the people who were taking off their cloaks and laying them down so Jesus can ride over them. These are the people who were losing their minds. Their hope is strong that Jesus will subdue the present and very real danger of Rome and replace it with his wise and just leadership. That's what's happening here in this palm processional. There's a hope 
of jubilant disciples who were shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And what's interesting about Luke's passage is that we have Luke accounting that the people are celebrating because of the deeds of power that they have witnessed Jesus doing. So you might have individuals who were there who were healed in some tangible way by Jesus' touch, by his forgiveness, by his consecration. And you would have others who were witnesses to it or heard it third hand. So they are there with their celebrations, not because they have hope that he can do something, but because they have been witnesses and maybe even recipients that he has done something. It's very different. It's a very different twist. It's not a question of, well, I really, I really, I'm going to cast my vote because I really hope that they can bring it home. No, this guy's already done it. Okay? So they're coming out of their garments, and they're like, woo, because we got the goods. <laughs> it's like, remember me? I had the gammy leg. Look at me, man. I'm dancing a jig because he made it happen. So these people are, you, you cannot contain their enthusiasm. These people are quite literally out of their minds with enthusiasm and hope and joy because Jesus comes on the ancestry of King David who brought it all together, brought the kingdoms together. But of course, you know, you've got to have your naysayers, right? What's any celebration without a couple of long faces on the side? And here you have the Pharisees. So the enthusiasm for this moment is not shared by the Pharisees. And why? Because the Pharisees were also political too. Right? They're a political party, and they were very popular with the people. I don't know why, because they were so heavy-handed. They were so heavy-handed, they, they knew the Levitical laws. They knew it backwards and forwards, and they were always very good at keeping everyone about accountable. And they go, mm-mm-mm, that's an infraction, you know, three demerits for you. And so they were always like heavy-handed on the people, but somehow they were popular with the folks. But Jesus was popular too. But Jesus didn't come with the hard rod that was always like reminding people of their weakness. He was giving them hope. So the Pharisees obviously see there's, there's some contention there because he's popular. But he's popular not because he's shaming people. He's popular because he's actually liberating and setting people free in their minds and in their bodies. So they come in and they say, Jesus, you, you, you tell your disciples to stop. Stop making a spectacle. This is unseemly. It's unseemly. Why were they even there? Right? I, I mean, why is it the naysayers always seem to pop up? Uh, a couple of years ago when I was working on the, the Monday, Thursday message and we were talking about Judas, I was like, if, if Judas, Judas, look, if you've already lost favor with Jesus, why did you even come to the meal? You know, you don't have to come to the meal. He's come to the meal so he can, you know, be a bad character. Anyway, we'll talk more about that on Thursday. So why were the Pharisees there? They were there because it wants to let us know that the enthusiasm of the crowd was not shared by all the observers. And the potency of Jesus' message wasn't shared by all of the observers. So he tells them, as he claps back, they go, tell your disciples to stop making this spectacle. And Jesus goes into this sort of hyperbole knowing that trying to stop an enthusiastic crowd who's rightfully acknowledging God's heir would only be topped by the stones themselves joining the chorus of creation praising God's work. Jesus is like, look at these people, right? They're, they're, they're frenzied, and rightfully so, because this is the one moment when Jesus and the crowd are actually in sync. 
He is moving into the political sphere and the political power of Jerusalem. The people are enthusiastic about that move. They're full of jubilee because of what he has done. And so for that, for that brief moment in time, there's a synergy there. They're in sync. He is moving forward, and this event is actually an upbeat story. That's why I want my Palm Sunday to stay Palm Sunday, because there's, there's, we know how the story goes. There's much room for, for dour attitudes and, and, and depression later on in the week. But at this moment, we have to share in the enthusiasm of people who finally have recognized that God has not abandoned them, that God has sent them a, a vital and an effective messenger. And finally, for the first time, their enthusiasm and their, their, their joy is placed in the right sphere. But the path that Jesus chose is one that we are still trying to understand and embrace. Even though we know this story as a historical event, we are still trying to learn its lesson. The lesson is that God plays a long game, a very long game. Those of you watching the Masters know about long game, but this is, a, this is the divine long game that God is playing. And we're still trying to learn this, this journey that God has us on. See, we lack the patience. We are not so different from that crowd. We have had times when our life has intersected with the reality of God. We have felt blessed. We have felt cared for. We have felt nurtured. We have felt bolstered. But we also lack a patience for where God is leading us. We get impatient with God. We get impatient with the people of God. So we divert our attention and we settle for less than God ever wants for us. Because that's what happens ultimately to this crowd. This crowd, and we can't blame God for the people not understanding Jesus' reasons for entering into Jerusalem. They had, they had their idea, they had their concept of why Jesus was entering in Jerusalem. Jesus had a very different path, but they weren't privy to that knowledge. Or, or even when he was telling them what was going to happen, they didn't listen. When he says the Son of Man will be crucified and raised on the third day. And they didn't listen to that because it was unpleasant. And we don't talk about unpleasant things. So it's not that Jesus didn't tell them on more than one occasion. It's just that they said, that's not what we think God would do. That's not our definition. That's not our understanding of God. So Jesus, you might be a little bit, you, you, you're, you're close on everything else. You know, real 99%, but this, this tenth of a percent, we can't give you that. Because you might be off on that one. It's like, you, just, you don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear that. And not much has changed between first century and today. There's still things that God is trying to convey to us. It's not that we're not ready to hear. We just don't want to hear it. Now, if we can learn the art of forbearance, we might find that we will suffer less insults to our expectations and we will find more insight into the vast emotional uplift as we gain waiting patiently on the mercies of God rather than our own assumptions of how we think the events of God should play out. 
So Palm Sunday is about, first of all, acknowledging that people could recognize that God is doing an incredible thing. And if they could have just left it at that, if they could have just left it at that, perhaps maybe the week wouldn't have gone so sideways as it did. But they had their designs on what they thought Jesus was going to bring and what kind of leader he was going to be and what kind of ministry and, and, and conflict he was going to bring. And they were mistaken. And I don't want us to continue to play that game, right? I don't want us to play that game. Even, even in our own lives right now and in our own particular contexts, there are still things that we want from God. There's a certain outcome that we want from God. But maybe we should take a few cues from Jesus and say, not my will, but yours be done. Amen. Let us lift our voices together in our responsive hymn, number 156. Let us pray. And as we enter into our time of silent devotion, we lift up Mary and family during this season of grief and loss. Let us pray. Compassionate God,
We thank you for the reminders that you bring to us, which are signs of your love. Gestures that are conveyed in a variety of ways. And it always seems that the timing of these simple yet powerful gestures are just received when we need them. And so we thank you as we reflect on the week that has passed and we anticipate the week before us. We think of the many ways in which you have ministered to us through friend, relative, and stranger alike that our lives really are seasoned with blessings. We submit to you today the, the prayer concerns for the Juritz family. On behalf of this congregation, I want to thank you for allowing us to have known Myron, to have been a place where his character and his service could be received and felt. That he gave without expectation of receiving, he gave because he could. And he enjoyed it. And there's not a person in this church who can hear that bell that rings before a worship service and not think of him. He took that on as a unique and special ministry. We ask prayers for his widow, which seems such a strange thing to have to say, but that is what Mary has become and we ask that you would continue to strengthen her as you have right up until this point. You've never forgotten her. And you have surrounded her with love that I can't even begin to define because it has played out in so many ways. I wanna thank you for all the support that she has received both within her family, through the church, through the community of McGregor and beyond, through all of her social network support. I'm sure her page is just blowing up with condolences as it should be. She will want for nothing especially in these coming weeks. And I want like to keep it that way. So if there's anything that we can do collectively as a people to minister to her and others in our community who have walked through this valley, the shadow of death, speak to us that we may take up the agency that you have given us and pay it forward in signs of gracious love.
We continue to pray for those who are sick and suffering. We lift them up to you. Those whose bodies are healing, we offer their healing to you. We ask that you would allow us to trust the processes that we have at our disposal to address both the concerns of our physical bodies and our own mental health, that we work in conjunction with the resources that we have to try to make sure that each day there's some rays of hope that can be felt in tangible ways and that can be shared equally. I ask that you would give us the strength to make it through this holy week because this is a, a heavy narrative. And it's a narrative that involves each and every one of us who knits ourselves to Christ. It is our story. So let us not miss any opportunity for detail, for time and reflection to realize the pains this man undertook to deliver us from our own folly. Now we set before you the prayer concerns of the people, petitions that we will lift up to you our own respective joys and concerns, we ask that you would hear them. Loving God, remember us as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever.
present these gifts to you, loving God. We ask that you would bless them and continue the work of your ministry in this space and to each and every one of us. We're called disciples. In your name. I invite you to join together in our covenant as found in the front cover of the hymnal. We covenant with the Lord and with one another and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in his holy ways. We will strive to be doers of the word and not hearers only, to be firm in faith, quickened in hope, and constant in charity. And we will consecrate our time, talent, substance, and influence as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Draw near to us, loving God, and bring us your reminder once again that we are not the sum total of our mistakes and poor decisions, but that you renew and you redirect us, that we too may take that healing and share it far and wide. On a night in which Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. He took bread, he divided it, and he gave it to his disciples and says, this is my body which has been given for you. Eat in remembrance of me. They shared the cup together. Christ's blood shed for the remission of sins. Take the cup of salvation. It is with gratitude that we are able to receive these sacraments, thus receiving your absolution. For that, we ask that you would take our renewed hearts and minds and lead us forward and allow us to bring your light into the world. Amen. Our closing hymn is number 175.
the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you and guide you in peace. Amen.